Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Andy Garcia, checking in once again from Auckland, New Zealand. Welcome to Path Less Follow. Now, today I have a couple of special guests that are joining me from Maryland. I'm here today with Coffee with the Chicken Ladies as they go by. This is Holly Callahan Kazmala and Chrissy DiCarlo. So ladies, thank you for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thank hey, you. Andy, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, we were just chatting before, you know, we jumped on here and we were just discussing, you know, life in New Zealand and whatnot. And, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a great few months for us here to kick off 2021. Um, yeah. You know, we're, uh, you know, just easy, laid back New Zealand and just, you know, living life. So how's everything out there in Maryland for you? It's really good. We're, yeah. we're, we're doing really well. We're coming into spring, which is been really a godsend this year because we had a rough winter here in the middle Atlantic. <laughs> yeah. Lots of snow and ice. Lots of snow and ice, wind. Mm -hmm. It so, was uh, really right. cold. <laughs> yep. Which is not good for our chickens, right? <laughs> they do not like it at all. Yes, no. exactly. <laughs> so, so tell me briefly, how did you two meet? You want me to start? Go ahead. Okay. So we have been friends since about 10 years of age. Mm -hmm. So we have been best friends for almost 40 years. Wow. And uh, we met in the break. Yeah, my parents had taken me out of Catholic school. All of my sisters, they took us out of Catholic school and switched us to public school. Best and thing they ever did. On the first day, <laughs> Christy yeah. and I were sit sat next to each other because her maiden name is Castle. And my maiden name is Callahan. And so we sat next to each other and that was that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we graduated next to each other. We did every, literally, we did everything next to each other. Yeah. And yeah. so we've been connected at the hip ever since that age. Yep. <laughs> and, and right now, both of you are sitting right next to each other. Yes, we <laughs> are. <laughs> we go. always joke. We're like in the nursing home. We're going to be creating some havoc. <laughs> chickens we're bringing our chickens. A, yeah. chickens yes chickens oh you got to you got to you know i'm a, i'm a bit of a new flock owner so i'm looking forward nice. to learning as much as i can from you and um you know so i'm really interested to dive into the conversation yeah now chrissy just tell me a little bit i know i, I read a bit of, about your background and and what led you down the path to becoming a vet tech so as even a young child, everyone would be out playing. And the only way I can describe it is sometimes people are born with an instinctual love for something. And that for me is animals. So I would be having a little doctor's kit and traveling from yard to yard, listening to all the hearts of the dogs. <laughs> yep. And it, I was always about animals and my parents never knew what animal I was bringing home <laughs> next. And uh, it just was a passion. It never went away. And I was like, there's nothing else in the world I'd rather do than to help and save animals medically. So right. I did that for 15 years. And let me tell you, it's a career that you do because you have a passion for animals. But that passion also, it can give you so many happy things and also so many sad things. Right. So you do it for the love. and. It's just an amazing career, to be honest with you. You're, you're a nurse for animals, so you do everything that a nurse would do in a hospital, right? but on, on an animal. It's right. amazing. Yeah, and you're obviously dealing with 
veterinarian care. So you deal with a lot of challenging situations. And uh, yes. I can imagine that would be, you know, very, very difficult. You know, me being a, a holistic animal health practitioner myself, you know, I, I see a lot of, of chronic cases. Um, and yeah. you know, that's usually when people start looking for, you know, holistic health care, you know, it's like, okay, I've, I'm, I'm out of ideas. Uh, and so is the vet. What do you have to offer? You know, exactly. so, but that means that I'm also challenged with big, situations and, and, and lose some patients from time to time. And it's, it's, it's difficult, but, um, but, you know, like you said, we do it for the love and the passion for animal well-being, you know, and hey, if we can try and help a bit. And, exactly. The first and, hospital and, where yep. I worked was inside Baltimore city and we saw trauma constantly. And I was there for the first place for 11 years. And, you know, I ended up running a trauma team so because we had so many traumas coming in every day, hit by car or just totally engulfed with the virus or anything that, you know, you see these things, you, you see this and it just breaks your heart. There were so many nights that I drove the car home just in tears, you know, and you wish that you could help more. Um, right. It is a career that you give your all to, you know, and even I stopped to be a stay-at-home mom to raise our da- my daughters. And it didn't really stop. I'm still, my husband says, she's not just going to pet your dog. She's going to examine your dog. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's cool. It's it's in me forever. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Holly, tell me a little bit more about your background. I know you studied his, what is it? The American livestock or correct me if I'm. Yeah, I have a master's in history. um, Yep, there you go. And my mother, that probably that interest probably came from my mother. Um, my, my family is very horsey. I grew up with horses. Um, I never liked riding. All three of my sisters are, are excellent riders. Um, I liked horses on the ground. I didn't want to be on their back. And so later on, I got into uh, fiber animals, sheep, llamas, and alpacas. But the love of history definitely came from my mother. History at its core is storytelling. You, right. use, you use sources so that your story is factual, but it is still storytelling. And in early America, uh, the, the early Americans were extremely dependent on livestock, but those stories weren't recorded very often. So it's really mm. sort of a quagmire of trying to tease that information out. When I was in graduate school, I wanted to write my thesis on livestock history and my advisor flatly refused. He said, no, we are not doing agriculture. Oh, really? So I actually <laughs> ended up writing my thesis on traditional Scottish music, which was amazing. Um, and I don't regret that, but I still have that livestock book in me. <laughs> right. She does. She really does. <laughs> so, and the early American livestock, in, in some ways it's easier because we're in Maryland, you know, we're, we're, we're in one of the original 14 colonies and we're surrounded by places like Mount Vernon, George Washington's home, and he did keep pretty meticulous records, but things that we're trying to track down are like breeds mm-hmm. that would have been brought to the United States from England or France or Spain. Or Roman to England. Exactly. The, the connections are huge. And, and trying to trace some of those things is very difficult. A lot of these animals um, were, were, they were u- used. I hate to use the word used. A lot of these animals were a, an enormous part of the colony's everyday lives, but they just never wrote it down. They were right. too busy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, you know, there wasn't social media then. We were, Christy and I joke about this. If we, if we were alive in 1850, 
what will we be doing to record these animals we love so much? And which breed will we be putting on Instagram? What would our Instagram feed <laughs> yeah. look like if there had been an Instagram feed in 1850? There you go. I would love to see that. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, it'd be awesome. So, random question, which I just it just kind of came on to me as we were talking. You know, early American days, and and you said that you know obviously you grew up with horses, so. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm just interested to know what is the history, and this might be, you know, going back a little bit too far, but with horses in America. So my, I believe from my understanding is that they may have been originally there before, you know, in in the early American days. I mean, you know, Native American times and then maybe disappeared and then returned at some point. Was, is, was that the case? I think that, well, if you, if you start with uh, prehistoric records, there, there was um, an Eohippus, there was mm-hmm. uh, an, an equine in the right. new world. Uh, I believe all the records show that Native Americans did have horses. The Spaniards brought horses, which were right. then intermixed with Native American horses. Ah, uh, and interesting. Then the, the English colonists brought horses if they could afford it and if the horses could stand that long ship right. journey. Right. Yes. And Got if it. you wanted to have any standing as a colonist in the New World, you had to have a horse. You have yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, for so many different reasons. For everything. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's interesting. I didn't realize that the horse there were there were actually breeds of horses. For some reason, I was under the impression that the Spaniards kind of reintroduced the horse back to the, the Native American lands. I'm, um, I'm a but, little fuzzy on this because I'm not a horse historian, but I do yeah. believe that there were definitely, I mean, I know that the Mustang and some of the wild horses out West definitely started with the Spaniards. Now you've got me curious. I'm, I'm going to start <laughs> doing research right now to see if I'm right or wrong about this. The other yeah, thing it is- just, it, it randomly came up in a, in a podcast that I was listening to, you know, a year ago or so. And they were talking just briefly about, um, you know, a little bit of history of horses and native American, um, history as well. And and I think they were discussing that they were here at one point and then they, then for whatever reason left, or I don't know if that's the right word, but no longer there in the, in the native American lands and then return with the Spaniards. So anyways, just thought maybe I'd quiz you on that one. One of my sisters or my mother could answer this question in a heartbeat, <laughs> yeah. but, but I think I, I'm fairly certain that there were horses here before the Spaniards even arrived. Well, this is what I was going to say. Assateague Island, they've been here for, we we actually are blessed to have an, um, an island with wild horses. That's three hours from our house. They were wow. probably settlers. They probably came over on ships the way the right. sheep on Hog Island did. Yes. So they, I think they were introduced. They were, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stake my claim right here. I'm fairly certain there were <laughs> horses in the new world before Columbus brought them over. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, we should find that out. Definitely. I need, I need <laughs> like, uh, you know, um, somebody to, to Google stuff real quick. <laughs> so let's just break it down. I mean, your, your podcast coffee with the chicken lady. So how do you ladies like your, your coffee? Well, we're drinking coffee right now. We and like, how do we like it? Hot and sweet. <laughs> Hot and sweet. There you oh, go. Oh, yeah. That's how we like it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. So, it, it's, I'm, I'm drinking coffee right now as well. It's 920 in the morning on Monday morning here. Oh. So it's it's, co- it's coffee hour. I mean, when is it not coffee hour anyways? That's but the right. funny thing, when I moved to New Zealand, you know, I 
traditionally, you know, we, we drink, you know, our, our black coffee, you know, pot coffee for the most part. And then you put a bit of, you know, sweetener or sugar or whatever it is, you know, in the States, you know how we do it. And, um, you know, the, the Starbucks is the fancy stuff, right? Right. Well, when I moved to New Zealand, I went to go just get a cup of coffee and I couldn't find just a cup of coffee anywhere. I mean, I went to the gas station, I went to the cafe and what I found out very quickly is that everything is done espresso here. Oh yeah. So you, you have to order some version of the, of an, of an espresso. I mean, even at the gas stations, there's baristas at the gas station, they're making you your, you know, your, your certain espresso that you want for the day. So it it took a bit to kind of get used to drinking, you know, a a double shot espresso, but you know, now I absolutely fell in love with drinking coffee and really understood, you know, understand a bit more about beans and their different locations and whatnot. Well, Uh, in my travels, um, my family's traveled multiple times over to Costa Rica and they're kind of the same way. Their coffee is very strong, but they Mm -hmm. like to do a cold brew process where, you know, they actually have the drips and kind of set it up like tea, but you know, the cold brew and theirs is just as, just as strong and you have to get used to it. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like my, my husband always says, do you have more cream in there than coffee? I'm like, no, but you know, coffee is my fuel. It keeps me going on every, every. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, right now I'm, I'm drinking this. It's a, a Peruvian Indonesian blend. It's a medium dark roast. It's nice. A, nice. Everybody does these, you know, we got, we have these fair trade organic coffees from different roasters across the country. So you can go into the, the grocery store and pick out, you know, a real nice blend from time to time. That's um, awesome. It, you know, yeah. It's, so it's cool. This is, you know, a great place to drink coffee and what they do here, their, their famous coffee is called the flat white. Have you ever heard of a flat white? I no. have not. No. Okay. So it's, um, I believe it's two shots of espresso and then the rest filled with like, I think it's trim milk. So it's a bit okay. foamy, but it's basically coffee and in, in, in majority, there's no water in it. It's just espresso and milk. Oh my goodness. Wow. I would be yeah. talking nonstop after. I don't know. That sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> I've been known yep. to talk a lot, but I would be really talking at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the flat white. Now what I order is just the basic long black, which is just a double shot of espresso and then topped off with a bit of hot water. So basically nice. just like a strong black coffee which oh, is, yeah. you know, phenomenal as well. So, uh, yeah, tell me about your podcast. Cause I'm, uh, I, I want to learn a bit more about, you know, of course, chickens here, but yeah. how did the podcast come to creation? So being friends for so long, you know, we're always talking about different stuff and then come through in life. We both have chickens. We both have small little farmettes. Holly Ann has four acres. I have three acres and, um, you know, we always get together for coffee. And last year COVID happened and we're like, oh my God, what are we going to (laughs) do? So we start Zoom coffee. Video chatting. Yeah, exactly. With our coffee. And we talk chickens nonstop, nonstop. It's a lot. We're like definitely like that crazy chicken lady. We talk it nonstop. The stereotype is true for us. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. So Holly's had chickens over 20 years. I've had chickens six years and we both have backgrounds and, you know, me with the medical and Holly with growing up basically on a farm, we, we talk about everything chicken. So we're like, there's really not a good podcast out there that we can Mm -hmm. grab onto that does the things that we want. So what would we do? Let's make it, let's do it. Yeah. It was sort of spontaneous. We had this 
I'm not, we sort of had this budding idea and we felt like we wanted to do a chicken project. It's something that would be consumed by other people. And it took us a couple of weeks of brainstorming and we weren't really sure exactly what we wanted to do. And then I still remember this day, I came out of the barn and I called Chrissy and I said, Hey, <laughs> do you want to do a podcast? And she said, I was just about to text you the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So yeah, so we love we love talking chickens, breeds. We love talking. Well, we talk. My daughters <laughs> say, I think you talk to Aunt Holly more than anybody in the whole wide world. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's We've been true. talking like this since we were 10. Like it doesn't stop. So, you know, we wanted the podcast to represent what one of our coffee conversations was kind mm-hmm. of like. So we'll go, we talk breeds. So every week we have a breed spotlight and we try to pick heritage breeds. And different breeds that maybe some people don't know a lot about. And if with learning about, they might want to try this breed out. Right. There, there are a lot of resources out there. Some of them are fantastic. But our angle is um, we're not afraid to be the crazy people who hug their chickens. Really. We do. <laughs> yeah, we, really do. We, wanted, we wanted people to feel like it's okay to make your chickens into pets. When I got into chickens 20 years ago, you did not run around talking about hugging your chicken. You just <laughs> didn't do it. Right. But we can do that now. I mean, things have evolved. People have realized how emotive and intelligent chickens are. Yeah. They're fun. Um, they're, they're, they, they give you breakfast. They feed you. You have that connection to your food. And they're interesting. They're interesting. Um, just sitting and watching the chickens for hours is, is a fantastic way to relax. There's, we don't really see a downside to chickens. And we just wanted people to have a place where they felt at home, where they felt like right. they could commune with other people who seriously loved chickens. Like they're sitting at the table with us having coffee. So the yeah. breed spotlight talks about different breeds. It gives Holly does puts her history in it and does all the history way back. And then we do a main topic every week where we pick something that's relevant in the chicken world or something that maybe happened with us or something that somebody might want information about. And then we do a recipe a week about that you're going to be using some fresh eggs. And then it wouldn't be like a chicken lady podcast without a retail therapy. (laughs) (laughs) So then we do a product review or we talk about things that we like to collect that are chicken related. And so it's been amazing. There's never, we brainstorm, there's never a lack of ideas. The most surprising thing is that it quickly took on a life of its own. And I mean, very quickly. Yes. And everyone's enjoying it. And we've had so many people reach out to us and say, this, this is amazing. This is like, this is great. I feel like I found my home. I found my people. Yes. Exactly. So, I mean, I've listened to it myself as well. And I love that concept of, you know, a little bit of breed education. And then, you know, you're spotlighting some, you know, another avenue within, you know, what's going on with, you know, maybe history or, you know, one of them I heard on the avian flu, which was very educational as well. And then, of course, you know, what do you do with all these chicken eggs? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, and baking is is a perfect way to, to, you know, use them up. So is this, uh, when did you start the podcast? We started it in October of 2020. So oh, there you go. We sat down at the kitchen table, of course, with a pot of coffee and a computer and said, we wrote down, who are we? We 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't hard at all. We sort of brainstormed. Um, and then we went live November 27th. 22nd. Yeah, 22nd, okay. I think. We went live November 22nd. It was sort of a soft live. And then we officially launched on December 1st. Yeah. So we, um, we were getting so much great feedback and reaching out and making so many new friends. It's amazing. And what COVID could do last year to the world we feel like we've opened up a great big door and met so many people and we can help because, you know, with having chickens 26 years between us, we've experienced a lot of things that new owners have not. (laughs) So many things. And you only learn as you go, basically. If it happens to you, then you're going to (laughs) learn, you know? So it's, we wanted to just share the knowledge. So I got my, I started my first flock or my flock now, um what was it 2019 maybe early 2019 nice and uh and it 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 took us a while to finally you know um decide let's do this and what happened was it's a funny story we were you know i live on this little two and a half acre life we call them lifestyle blocks here in new zealand right and uh so it's a little little lifestyle block and you know so then we got a couple of puppies of course is how you do you start off with the puppies and then the cats came and um there was a bunch of paddock fencing but there's it's kind of a even though it's a lifestyle block um there it is a it is a historical town so we get a lot of tourists and we're kind of on this main road so we're like okay i got to figure out some way to keep the puppies contained from time to time um but not have them in the house always so uh, you know, we're like, we just need kind of like a dog run type deal. Well, I was Googling all these different ways to build dog runs and whatnot. Yeah. And next thing you know, there was this four meter by eight meter chicken run and nice. four meter uh-huh. by eight meters, you know, eight meters is quite a decent distance. So I'm yes. like, okay, I think the pups will do okay in there. Um, and so we, we, and it was cheap, you know, it came with all the fencing and everything and they just clip all the, the, the poles together. Like you're putting up a gazebo in a way, a little bit, you know, a little bit stronger than that, but very easy to set up. And yes. so I put this thing together and the puppies absolutely hated it. They were just <laughs> not happy in this thing. And of course it was, you know, they're probably about like five or six months old yeah. at the time. So, you know, they wanted, they were used to just kind of being out and roaming and, and whatnot. And um, yeah, so they, they hated it. So anyways, here I had this big four by eight meter chicken run that was just absolutely sitting there. And we we're like, why don't we just get some chickens then? You know, it'd be nice to have some fresh eggs. And, oh, yeah. um, but we're, we were nervous about it. We're like, I don't know anything about, you know, raising chickens. What do we have to do? Um, are they going to be okay? Do they, are they going to leave? You know, the road, there's a busy road here and all these right. questions just started popping up. And then we decided, you know what, let's just go for it. We'll figure it out. You know? So we started with three, um, brown shavers. Have you ever heard of brown shavers? No, I have not. Oh, you haven't heard of brown shavers. Interesting. No, oh, tell us, tell us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You've so brown. <laughs> Brown shavers are a hybrid breed here in New Zealand, known for massive egg production. We're talking, you know, 300 eggs a year. Oh my gosh. Wow. So these ladies pump pump eggs out. So the, um, you know, I should have had more specifics on them. I can't remember what they're crossed with. Don't worry, um, we're Googling that as you speak. <laughs> yes, yes, please do. It's a, it's a New Zealand breed, basically. Well, you know, it's it's kind of a breed now because brown shavers are, you know, very popular here. So we started with three brown shavers. I met a guy, um, actually uh, one of my old landscaping buddies. He says, hey, I have a friend 
and he buys about 150 to 200 uh, chickens a year, brown shavers, or not a year, um, a season, should I say. So what happens is that the, let's say a farmer will put in a, an order for 4,000 hens or something like that, right? Wow. So the breeder will produce 5,000 um, chicks. And just in case, you know, a few of them don't make it along the way, he has to make sure he has 4,000 for the farmer. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of, so, so of course, you know, once the 4,000 is met, then usually there's a, there's about four or 500 extra chickens that need um, rehoming. So this wow. guy, what he does is he buys, let's say, you know, 200 of them. And then he, he finds homes for them. So it was a nice little, you know, collaborative way to find these chickens homes mm -hmm. that obviously were overbred. Um, so yeah, I, I, I called them up and I said, I need three brown shavers. He says, come and pick them out. So we went and, and, and picked out our, our three girls to originally start the flock. And, um, nice. and then, yeah, we've, we've been going ever since. So since then we've, we've added multiple breeds um so how many do you have now so right currently i have eight eight okay. and yeah so it's a small flock but it does plenty for us you know oh, yeah. we, we there's just four of us here so you know i've got my wife and and my two kids and my son funny enough doesn't like eggs <laughs> yet <laughs> so um you know it's just us three who who consume the eggs so it's it's, it's too many eggs for us we're giving them away a lot of times yeah, um, we, we may add a few more, you know, as time goes on, we always seem to every about six months or so. Oh, yeah, let's get one or two more, you know? Yeah, and so that's, that's how, how that's, that's how it works. That's, it's called chicken math. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Over and here, we, we call it chicken math. And it's you, you start with three and you say, okay, we're not getting any more. I started with yeah. four. Yeah. And now including our six babies, I have 19. So wow. Yeah, it it's called chicken math. <laughs> <laughs> it is real. It's real. <laughs> yep. So, so after the, the three brown shavers, um, then what do we get? We got a, we got a Langshan and, oh, and, and nice. Ellie really likes that breed. Yes. Oh, Langshan. I mean, she's big. She's just a big, big bird, you know, with her, yeah. with her feather. We call her Featherfoot Franny. And, oh, um, I love that. Know. That's so cute. She's got her feathers and yeah, she's very, um, she's very broody. She's, that's for sure. She loves to sit on the nest. Uh, she, yeah, she's all the of most the girls broody one. The Asiatic, all of the girls in the Asiatic class will go broody. So your Cochins, your Langshans, and your Brahmas will all go broody and hatch eggs for you whenever you want. We were just discussing this the other yeah. day that a lot of the breeds that tend to go broody are a larger breed. Yeah. That's true. I don't know, except for the silky, I don't know why the biological imperative the, is there. Yeah, the silky is. doesn't, but most, like when you think about the Orpington and the Cochin, mm -hmm. they're really large what we were saying like because they need the body mass to sit on the on the eggs and keep that's them warm. true they do they spread out right. so if you, if you had your lunch and hatching for you she could probably fit at least a good 10 eggs under her at least oh yeah she can easily i mean yeah we found you know at least 10 eggs under her yeah. a couple of times you know <laughs> trying to hatch away you know and it's funny because when one of the other birds uh, you know, starts to get broody and then she's like, oh no, this is my turn again. And she just takes over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's a funny one. So, so uh, do you yeah, just have hens or do you have a, a rooster also? No, no rooster quite yet. So okay. yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's a question that I did want to get to because I'm still, let's just go for it now. So sure. what, when is a good time to get a rooster? I mean, how I does it I, all work? 
I think anytime I personally do not have a rooster. Uh, Holly Ann does have multiple yeah, roosters. Generally always kept a rooster. I think yeah. the answer to that is when you are prepared to deal with things that potentially come along with a rooster. Right. So he will change your flock dynamics, sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad ways. You probably want to be prepared. Um, a lot of roosters are really nice guys, but every now and again, you get one that's just awash in testosterone and you need to find ways to train him or redirect him. Right. And you kind of have to be, not kind of, if you're going to take on a rooster, you need to be prepared to do those things. Fingers crossed, you never have to do them. Right. It includes behavior modification. So you need to be prepared and then, you know, not have the, sometimes like it does change the dynamic where you can't have the kids go in as much. It can, right. You have to be very careful. Yeah. Depending upon, because their job in history from the beginning of time is to protect their ladies. Again, a biological right. imperative. So I, yes. will, I will say to anyone, if you have a, a, if you have a difficult rooster and I will go out on a limb and say that I probably have had one of the most difficult roosters in history, mm-hmm. Ricardo Montalban, who was 15 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He was yeah. tall, dark, and handsome. He was 15 pounds <laughs> and he was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the, the, like a big Napoleon of the uh, he, yeah, he was <laughs> he was super aggressive, but we loved him and we worked with him and we found a lot of ways to manage his behavior. The single most useful thing is when he was being difficult, we would wait until he was on the roost at night. We would bring him into the house and he would spend time sitting on my husband's lap, having his head stroked, and he would spend time with me. And it really did settle him down a bit. The other good trick is. When you go into the run, if they try to chase you, bend down like you're going to pick them up. If they're too aggressive and that's not safe, bring a towel and wrap them in the towel. And I can guarantee you that after about two or three sessions Mm -hmm. of that, every time they see you with a towel, they're going to stay out of your way. They're going to read your body language, just like in any animal. And I can relate this back to being being attacked for small animal medicine is animals relate to body language. Mm -hmm. So there was always a way that we were taught long ago to approach any animal And there, if you, you know, come in and you're confident and you're assertive and you know who you are, they're going to read that off of you. They do. Right. The biggest thing is you don't need to have a physical altercation with a rooster to prove that you are the alpha. You are already the alpha. Yep. You're already the alpha. Yep. So what roosters do is one, they're gorgeous. Most of the, you know, they have, they got all the, they get all the pretty feathers, the flashy boy feathers. Roosters are gorgeous to look at. The crow just makes us happy. It's a, it's a fantastic sound. And the hens are not all hens. I've had some hens that really just didn't like ruse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Most of the time, uh, most of the time, the girls really do like having a rooster around. He'll tidbit for them. He'll, he'll call them over for the choicest treats and it can be really sweet. Yeah. I just have not gotten one. I mean, that's just not the dynamic of my flock right now. And we always talk about this on the podcast is if you by chance get one and you're not prepared, you should always, if you're a chicken keeper, any type here, we get one day old chicks in the States. So you, they're usually sexed to 90% accuracy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's still a 10% chance that you're, you think you're buying a pullet and you have a room. So we always talk about this as having a rooster plan to know what you're going to do. If by chance you're not prepared and you do get a rooster and Holly right. Ann is my rooster plan. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hold my breath every year when she gets chicks. Yeah, there you go. 
always good to have a plan one way or another. <laughs> uh, to yeah. be honest, we well when we bought when we when we acquired when we I should say adopted um, Featherfoot Franny, she didn't they didn't know the, the breeder. I mean, it was it was a crazy chaotic scene. So she had breeds all over the place. They were wow. coming and going and yeah, it was, it was chaos. So when we showed up and, and trying to figure out which, you know, where's the Langshans and, you know, then she had some in little kind of cages to, you know, that she was working on a breeding program. I think she was doing a, she was trying to create a, um, a giant Jersey, I believe it is. Jersey giant. Uh, that's what Ricardo Montalban was actually. Yeah, that's what okay. it has. It's really? Breeds. Yeah. They're, they're fantastic. Chickens. She has Jersey giants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Jersey giant. And, um, she was trying to do it from scratch, I believe. So it was like a 10 year oh project because there's no Jersey giants here in, in New Zealand. So this was wow. her project. Okay. So anyway, she had all these different breeds everywhere and whatnot. So it was crazy. <laughs> she had this, she had this fish net to try and catch these little oh babies and they're probably like two or three months old, but she didn't know it was just, it was a little bit too, uh, I don't want I don't want to say unorganized because she was a real nice lady. And, and, yeah. and mm -hmm. we have two beautiful birds from her because yeah. we also got the Ostrilop. But anyway, she didn't know. She says, hey, if they start crowing, then bring bring them back and I'll give you another chicken. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, that's a rooster plan. That is a rooster plan. That's a rooster there you plan. go. You have a built-in rooster plan. <laughs> yeah. So here we awesome. have this big, big Langshan bird, and she's just bigger than than the rest of them. And, and I'm like, man, is this? And she took forever to lay. I think she didn't yeah. start laying until she was about eight or nine months. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's and very typical for those older heritage breeds. We yeah. talk about that yep. a lot also and why those, we talk about how why those birds aren't as popular right now because industrial times they were phased out because they didn't lay eggs quick enough. Right. So, right. you know, yep. that's why they, they do it longer and later, I guess. But those breeds do tend to come with a friendlier personality. Always. So seems. if you want them for a backyard flock and you're prepared to wait a few more months for laying, you're going to end up with an awesome chicken. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And she uh, she has been, you know, she's been great. I mean, they've all been great, to be honest. So, um, yes, but but what I thought was like, here, she's a rooster. You know, <laughs> she's too big. Oh, you're like, there's no eggs yet. There's yeah. no eggs. Exactly. Okay. So the other question, you know, with, with the rooster, I just didn't know the dynamic, like once you have your first, let's say the, the rooster comes along and, and now we have fertilized eggs mm -hmm. and then these chicks grow up. How do you kind of stop that interbreeding thing happen? Or is that, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, yeah. It depends on, it depends on whether you're, if you're, if you, let me rephrase that. If you're actually wanting to start a breeding program, you want to have your roosters with their own dedicated girls. And right. to keep a rooster happy, he generally needs an average of about eight girls. Correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So when, if you have them all out free ranging together and they have a decent amount of space, most roosters will just stay with their own girls and, and they will keep with their own breeding set and they won't try to go steal another rooster's girl. So that's one way to know. Um, the other way is people build big breeding pens, which is and essentially separate flocks. Yeah, it's essentially a really big runs so that the flocks stay separated. Right. It, and there's really no other way. Mm -hmm. You have to keep right. them separated. Or if, you know, if you're not breeding, 
and you have multiple, I mean, if, say you have 16 hens and two roots, mm-hmm. you're just collecting the eggs before anything right. happens. This so is, that's mm-hmm. not even going to be an issue. This is all predicated on whether or not. So if you you're have fertilized breed. eggs and you have a girl like Franny who wants to sit on them, you know, you can make that choice whether you want to let her brood those eggs or not. Otherwise, even if they're fertilized and you collect them, they're still not viable unless they have 21 days at 99.5 degrees. In an incubator or under a brood Right, head. right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha there. So if we're just, you know, collecting the eggs, then it's not really something to even worry about. Exactly. exactly. And if you're starting to breed, then you need to know which hens are with which room mm-hmm. yeah. and then keep them in separate flocks and, you know, or you will have inbreeding. Right. Right. Definitely. Got it. Got it. So for those that are wanting to start a new flock, what would be your advice or even just for new chicken owners? Like, you know, where, where, where do you start? Read a bit about the breeds because you can make your life way easier by choosing breeds that work for you, for what you want. Right. That and always start off with everything as secure from predators as possible. Predators here, and I'm sure they're also are probably one of your worst enemies. Absolutely. And we always say, be prepared in everything. So with starting a new, make sure your run and your coop are very strong and protected. They're protected against the predators from getting in. That's having a roof. We do a... We take our sides of our runs out three feet and then bury them under so that if even somebody comes up and tries to dig at the fence, that's not even the end where they're going to try to get in. So just being prepared Mm -hmm. uh, is great for a new new owner. The other thing is being prepared for health problems because a lot of people start with chickens and they don't realize you're going to come across some health problems. A good first aid kit can go a long way. So having a first aid kit is a must. You often notice problems in your chickens um, in the evening when you're putting them in or in the morning when you're letting them out. And that's often off hours when you can't either get a veterinarian or when you can't get to a shop and get the supplies you need. And we're both in rural areas too. Mm -hmm. So you having the, everything that you need right there it, it, and knowing these problems. And I think the best thing is, yes, do research. Yeah. And we kind of break it down into four categories. The first is research your breeds and figure out what breeds will work for you because the wrong breed of chicken for your setup can make everyone involved miserable. Yes, definitely. Chickens, people, so everyone. Yes. What would be um, an example of that? Like the wrong breed? So if you wanted super, super friendly chickens and you decided to get a flock of Egyptian Fayumis, you might not like the way things go. Or if you, got, or if you gotcha. want a very cuddly chicken mm-hmm. and you get 10 Rhode Island Reds, right? you might, you, it, chances are you might get a cuddly one, you might not. Mm-hmm. And there are certain breeds that like to be left more to themselves. right? And there are certain breeds that are definitely cuddle, a little bit more like cuddle mm-hmm. and want to be around you. So knowing that dynamic and knowing what you need them for. Right. If you want a super good egg layer, Leghorn, Leghorn, Rhode Island Red, some of the production layers are great, but you don't want, say, an Orpington where who's going to give you two to three eggs a week. Yes. Right. Yeah. Just kind of figuring out what you want and figuring out which chickens match that. Um, as we said, the first aid kit, preparing for predators as best you can. And our, and our fourth thing, which really can't be overestimated, is try to find someone, a mentor or a chicken buddy. Right who can help you in those emergencies when you're freaking out. 
Believe me, we both, yeah. <laughs> when it's our chickens, we're freaking out. Yeah, it's, it's hard to yep. stay calm when it's your own animal that you love in trouble. Yeah, it really is. And you need somebody yep. with a level head on the other end of that phone, <laughs> if you're talking or texting, to say, okay, calm down, go do this. And then, okay, you can do that. Mm-hmm. So having, we, we talk a lot about chicken community. And chicken community is getting larger and larger. Definitely. And it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of learns more from everybody else. Hey, did you, did this happen to you? This happened to me. And everyone can learn as they go along. So, you know, I can't say enough about the first aid kit myself. Mm -hmm. Being prepared with these things that you need can help in that situation. And being predator safe is immense. That can take a big load off of you for worry. You know. Exactly. You know, the, the the beautiful thing about New Zealand is that we are nearly predator free. I mean, you have oh the, the odd possum that will kind of get in and maybe steal an egg from time to time. Every now and then they get a little aggressive from from what I hear and they'll go yeah. after the chickens. But that's like a really aggressive male, you know, that's on great. on a good one, you know. But um, yeah, our possums are a little different. They look like almost like a, in between a possum and a raccoon type. Wow. Neat. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so anyways, the, and then of course the, the cats and the dogs are the, are basically the, the biggest predator on New Zealand is the dog. The you know? domestic so, dog. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, yeah. that's a predator here also it is mm-hmm. because yeah. most people have backyard flocks and they're in neighborhoods and right. dogs sometimes run free. And if you're free ranging, then and you don't have a fence mm-hmm. that's a big problem, problem. Yeah. we only do holly and i only do supervised free ranging we don't let ours out unless we're right there just for that one exact and reason this predator. area of maryland is super predator heavy we have hawks we have foxes we have raccoons coyote coyotes yeah a lot a lot that can yeah. get your girls and boys if you leave them out unsupervised yeah i mean i couldn't imagine i mean i, I obviously you'd have to just prepare for that but to think mm-hmm. how you know, smooth it's been because we don't have those things to worry about. Oh, that's um, that's yeah, a bit fortunate. That's so so awesome. let's say that again. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. great. It's a great place to raise chick. I mean, it just in general, that's, that's why a lot of the livestock do well here in New Zealand. And that's mm-hmm. why our agriculture booms because we don't have the predators like that, you know. So yeah. um, just quick, a quick question on the first aid kit. So what's in the first sure. aid kit? Well, there's a lot. <laughs> we're, actually, we're actually working on an annotated list of our first aid kit, that, an article that we'll have on our website. Okay. We talk first aid kit in, I think, episode seven or eight. Seven, I believe. Seven. In episode seven. Um, so it's it's really across the board. It's It's a lot of medical supplies like... That wrap, which is a, mm-hmm. a, a wrap that wraps upon itself. So if you have a wound, if you have to do a support bandage, um, usually it's some ointments that you're going to need if your chickens have cuts, bumblefoot, different things like that. Um, vitamins uh, that sometimes they right. will need extra. Vitamins, probiotics, a coccidostat for coccidiosis. Yes. Uh, dewormers usually just, we usually just keep one or two broad spectrum on hand to be used as needed. Correct. Um, let's see. There's a lot of bandaging materials that you may need. And we even say like, uh, craft sticks for splints. I've had to do it. It's Mm -hmm. happened. Um, all these different things, uh, Vaseline for in the winters, if you have cold, you're going to want to protect those Combs and waddles. Vaseline is also great for a scaly leg mite. It is. Mm, right. um, 
a lot of the basics like gloves, um, some kind of a lubricating jelly for egg problems, Tums for a quick boost of calcium. calcium. Yes, Tums are a must. <laughs> there you go. Problems. Yeah, so there's a lot. And I think even on our website, we have a list. It's, yeah, it's, our show there's, notes. A, there's a list in the show notes for that episode. And we are working on an annotated list and that adding. has all the things that we use these various products for. And believe me, it's much easier if something happens. I'll tell a story that when I, um, I, I said crap stick last summer, I let my girls out and one of my cuckoo Morans comes out and she is limping like crazy. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And it's not just a little limp. It's strange. And I'm like, did she break the leg? What did she do? I instantly get on the phone, FaceTime Holly Ann. I'm like, watch this chicken. <laughs> and, you know, I did not have craft sticks. I normally always have a craft stick in mm -hmm. the house. And I'm like, we need to add this to the first aid kit. Right. So split material. to split mm -hmm. the leg until I could figure out what was going on with her. And, you know, so these things to have are amazing, like uh, roll cotton, mm -hmm. roll gauze, medical tape, white tape, all these different things. Really, I mean, the list is the list is huge. Yeah, um, uh, forceps. Um, good heavens, I can't even a headlight some of the, because head, when you're yes. working at night, you want to put right. a headlamp on. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to if something's going on at night, you want to be able to see what you're doing. The key thing with chicken farming is to be prepared for anything. And that will make life so much simpler because yeah. then you won't be so upset when something goes down because you're going to know what to do. Mm -hmm. Be yep. prepared. And you, you and got the tools. The tools in the toolbox. Right. That's what we always say. It's another tool in the toolbox to add in and, you know, just be prepared for anything. It can Absolutely. <laughs> Great advice. Great advice. You know, Thank I, you. you know, then I need to start building my to my uh, my toolkit my first aid kit you know i need to get a dedicated kit that would be so i'm looking forward to getting the list uh, off of your website there. yeah so let, yeah, let's talk definitely. about kind of uh i i don't know if i've struggled but it's it, it, i just go really slow maybe uh when i merge birds into my flock um so can you provide some tips or advice on oh, yes yeah. the best method good. there Slow is good. Patient is good because yes. you're dealing with all different personalities. So the number one thing is over here, chick or pullet integration, we call it. You cannot just take your pullets of three months and throw them in with chickens who are a year to two to right. five, six years old. Chickens, they have a hierarchy. They have a pecking order and they will go after those little babies and it will not be pleasant. So right. what I've done is I have something called an integration cage that I can sit next to my run or inside my run. So those chicks and the big girls can all see each other, but they cannot get to them. Yeah, I think that's key. They really need to, uh, chickens are very much creatures of habit, like most of us. Yeah. And they don't like new things like most of us. And it takes them a long time to get used to a new face. Right. I mean, as Chrissy said, anytime a new animal comes into the chicken flock, they have to readjust that whole social hierarchy. Yes. That whole pecking order. That all changes. And it can get messy. So the longer you can, uh, the longer you can have them looking at each other, the better it is. The other thing you can do is free range them together I for short also. periods of time so that they're on neutral ground. You ever heard a dog trainer say when you bring a new dog in, right? Try to introduce them to 
your, your present dogs in neutral ground. Right. It can be the same for the chickens. Try to free range them together here and there if you can. And usually the process takes me at least three weeks to a month Yeah. to where I feel good to open up the cage and say, okay, let's try it all together in the run. It, it, you can't just do that. At, you can't just walk in and put the chickens down and walk out. It will be horrific. Yeah. <laughs> it will be bad. There will be bloodshed. Yes, it will be yeah. really, really bad. And I usually do the free ranging, like maybe a week in after the cage is yeah. in the run mm-hmm. where they've seen each other. So here's an interesting fact. Chickens can recognize up to 150 different faces of animals and people. Yep. So oh. they're really intelligent. They know who you are when you go in there, mm-hmm. you know? And so they're going to see these chickens and say, who in the heck are you? Right. Where'd they you come not, from? They are not part of my flock. No. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, take, take your time and take it yes. slow. And that's probably the best thing you can do. Definitely. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. You know, what I've done in the past is just mm-hmm. really slow um, integration. And even just this last chicken that we brought on, um, her name's Uno and we, she oh, was a school cute. chicken. So the, the kids had a project at school. So they, they had three eggs, three fertilized eggs, and they, they hatched them and they cared for them and, and basically raised them. Uh, unfortunately she had a prolapse. So yes. oh, no. they called me in, you know, being the, uh, you know, an, animal health guy. And so I was trying right. to give her as much care as possible as possible. And I said, I need to take this chicken back to the farm and, and really give her, plenty of care if she's going right. to make it. And um, so it took me about two weeks, but I got her back to health. Oh, and fantastic. so I went, awesome. I went back to the school. I said this, the, it's very common for her to relapse and yes, we need yes. to watch her constantly. So uh, what are you, what's your plan for the school holiday? So the, the, the way New Zealand school works is that they go, they go to school for 10 weeks and they take two weeks off, you know, kind of the year round thing. So 10 weeks on two weeks off. So uh, the holiday, the school holidays were coming up. I said, what, what are you going to do with the, the chickens during that time? And they said, well, we're just going to keep them here and then we'll come in to feed and water them. And I said, well, you know, if something happens to her, she needs urgent care immediately. Mm, And um, I I think it's best if she just stays here with us. So the school said, whatever is best for the chicken, you know, that's perfectly fine. So we ended up keeping her. But but uh, that being said, it was a very slow process because she was already an adult bird, probably Mm -hmm. uh, close to a year. And she was the oldest bird that I tried to integrate. So we had to go very slow. And it took, I, I would say it probably took about six weeks for things to kind of hash out. And I just took the, I took my time, you know. The other thing is with integration, and this happens also as commonly, commonly is if you have a bird that gets sick and you have to take this bird out of the flock for any length of time, you're going to have to reintegrate that bird back into their own flock. that hierarchy changes and that time that bird's out. This is one of the tricks that I've learned along the way is free ranging the one that you're trying to integrate in in front of the ones that are in the run. Yes. Gives this this bird what I call some street cred. Right. And basically they're like, oh, you get to be out in free range. There must be something great about you. Mm -hmm. So that's another trick that with one bird coming in, you can let her free range around them. And it gives her a little hierarchy just starting out going in. I mean, this is like flocks of girls. They're like, hey, who is? (laughs) It's a biological imperative (laughs) for them because in, you know, um, I can't say in the wild because the domestic chicken doesn't really exist in the wild anymore. (laughs) 
but but it's still built in biologically that they need to maintain who who is in their flock for their own safety. Right. And who is has what job? There's the the chicken that alerts everyone mm-hmm. that okay, this happens to mine. There's one that always yells if the neighbor dog comes yep. too close. Yeah. And then everybody looks up. And then there's the guard at the end of the night that circles the coop and they're mm-hmm. the last one in. Yeah. And you know, there's the first one to eat, which is mama, you know, she's like usually the head honcho. The, the head honcho. Eat, right. So there's definitely a hierarchy. And the thing that I've learned in six years in having chickens is the intelligent, the, the intelligence of this bird. It's they're so intelligent. We spoke to a um, we interviewed a a trainer of dogs who also trained chickens. Yes, Jeannie Keys. And she explains their brains. Yes, everybody says chicken has a small brain, but it's like a computer chip. It's very complex. So they're so intelligent. And, you know, you just have to kind of use those things to train them. Right. It's trying to get a chicken to change its behavior in the way you want doesn't generally work. You have to understand their behavior and work with them. Exactly. And you're right on with if it takes six weeks to get a bird in, then it takes six weeks to get a bird in. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And it, funny enough, it, it was great advice that you said, let let her free range. We did, but it was just because um, we wanted to give her a little bit of exercise, you know, <laughs> right. kind of allow the kind of de-stress after kind of going through, you know, what was a lot of, uh, um, you know, medical care for her. Yeah. And so, but what she would do though, funny enough, is she'd go just circle around the, the, the coop. <laughs> exactly. You gave her street cred. Yeah. She's like flaunting in front of them. She's like, oh yes, look at me. I'm out oh, here and you're in there. <laughs> She was, and, and she's a, I don't know what breed she is, but she's a, probably just a mix of, of a couple, but she's a big bird and she's got these, you know, a big black, uh, she's like a, kind of like a, a, what was it? The lace, the laced birds. What are they? What okay. Are they wine dot? Like a wine dot. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. I thought she might've been one of those, but then we've seen the rooster and he doesn't have that, that rose, um, you know, the rose, what is it? The crown. So yeah, but it's something like that. But she's big, and so she was down there, you know, doing strutting around the 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 coop for. A good yeah, you gave of weeks. you gave her street cred. She wanted to show everybody that she was out, and they were not. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it gives her a little push when she goes in. Like, yeah, and I've yep. done that with birds, you know, that come out for being sick, and I've had bullying problems myself. So now, when I choose for a flock. I'm very selective breed wise. I'm not going to take a strong breed and put it in with a laid back breed. In the beginning, you're kind of naive to it. Yeah. You don't really realize how much that can matter. And it can. And it can. And I've paid the price and I've had one chicken bullied totally out of the flock Mm -hmm. and it's not fun. And you're trying to get them back in and these birds are trying to attack her. So taking it slow, knowing the breeds. And that's one thing that we always stress is that's why the breed spotlight we love because we do all the research on finding out personalities mm-hmm. and how they mesh with other birds. It's really important, you know, so you, yeah. you want to have a balanced flock for sure. Yeah, exactly. And it was the, we noticed it was the bottom three, which we call the, the, um, the, the triplets. They're the Baird rock sisters. And, oh, uh, oh, Bard rocks. Nice. I have Bard rocks also. Yes. Yep. And uh, yeah, so they were, they were, but it was, it was aggressive, you know, it was more aggressive than when, you know, when they came into the flock and then the ones before them and they were, but I think it was cause she was older, she was bigger. So they thought they had uh, to kind of my flex bar a rocks, bit harder. 
my barred rocks can be a little they're one of the the pushier chickens that i have okay yeah chicken yeah and then there's also the fact that for all the birds that are not the queen so you might have like you have a top girl and she might have two or three other top girls that hang out with her oh yeah all the rest of the birds especially the birds in the middle and the lower part of the pecking order are often your aggressors because right. by being aggressive with the new bird they're elevating themselves a bit. exactly yep hierarchy yeah. trying to exactly. yeah, it, it could be crazy complicated yeah, <laughs> yeah. watch fun, it is fun sometimes you know to see it all go down <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's cool to watch their dynamic and they're extremely entertaining and you know at first it was like oh it'd be great to have some fresh eggs but we didn't realize how much else they're going to do for the farm right? where, where it came to weeding or deep what i call the debugging operation oh, yes, yes, yes totally De- i mean cockroaches and ants and anything that moves basically anything. lizards and, and crickets and you know they're all over it yeah. So, um, and then all, we give them all the chicken, all of our food scrap, should I say, yes. you know, mm-hmm. so yeah. we don't waste anything. And then of course there's the fertilizer that we use for the garden and then, yes. um, the compost where we, I, I continue to just pile leaves because we have about, I don't know, maybe 150 trees on the, this little two acre property. So it's very tree heavy. We just, I continue to chuck the leaves into the coop. And then they just break it all down and turn it yes. into this nice fine mulch that we mix in with the compost. I mean, it's just exactly. brilliant. They're fantastic these, for that. These girls are workers, you know, and it's phenomenal. Yes. Yeah, they love their they love to please us. They love to do lots of things. And they're one of these versatile kind of livestock farm animals that are so they give you so much. How can you not love a chicken? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, they give you breakfast and then yep. they help you garden. And they yep. they're like better than TV sometimes. And, <laughs> you know, it's great. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So I just wanted to dive into what, what's a couple of good starter breeds for people out there looking to get started? Because it seems like there's a lot of people that want to have chickens as pets nowadays. Yes. It, um, again, it comes down to what you want your chickens for. And yep. I know that a lot of new flock owners aren't self-aware and aren't, haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. So there's also availability and there is whether or not you have children is a big yeah thing. children's a big thing um if you have children there's definitely certain breeds that you're gonna want to look into yes along with availability you're uh, right on availability that. can be huge especially now that chickens have really taken off I mean, all across the world yes so i would say one of what's called the golden retriever mm-hmm. it's labeled this of the chicken world is the buff orpington or the orpington breed in general okay and there's different types of colors but the buff orpington is known as the golden retriever of the chicken world yeah laid back friendly they're not the best layers but I have they two. certainly lay enough for average household needs they lay about two to three eggs a week mm-hmm. They're huge and they're the sweetest things ever. They were our starter chickens, our starter chickens. Mm-hmm. And because at that point, my girls were five and 10 and um, we wanted something that they could walk around the yard holding under their arm or sit on a chair and they just sat on their laps all the time. And oh, that, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that chicken is that way. Definitely. Your Australorps are a good choice as well. They're um they're essentially the Australian Orpington. Correct. They were yep. just the Orpington uh, redeveloped in Australia. Um, Cochin. The, the Asiatics, any of the Asiatics. Yes. So your Langshin, Brahmas or Cochins, very gentle. Silkies. Now, Silkies, though, have the weather complications. So, yeah, Silkies, we always say you need to be a devoted person and know that there's going to be some extra stuff that you have to do. Yeah, you but really- they have a great 
they have great personalities. Yes. You can't really let them stay wet. They can get hypothermic pretty easily right. because their feathers are not traditional chicken feathers. Now, They're just like fluff. Now, if you want a lot of eggs, oh, okay. uh, you would go with a Leghorn or a Rhode Island Red, which have the reputation of being a little flightier. I have one of each. One is a baby mm-hmm. and she's super cuddly already. And the other, I have one white leghorn who is the sweetest little girl in the world. Any of the Mediterranean breeds are excellent for eggs. Yes. They do have a reputation for being skittish and unfriendly. But what we have found over the years is that if you handle them regularly, they are pretty down to earth. I mean, that you you really, they startle easily. But a smaller chicken, that's a, that's a built-in defense mechanism. What we say is uh, you're going to get back what you put in. Yeah. As in anything in life, you, you give 100% they're going to give you hundred percent back. So we say chick days around here. We have chicks stuffed in shirts. We're walking around, we're watching TV with the chicks. We're constantly holding them and they know that our hands are loving and they're not going to run from us. And they want to be with us. Though I always have to give the caveat, <laughs> your chicks have to stay under heat. So oh yeah, um, make sure they're warm, make sure they're warm. Yeah. Um, okay. But the breeds, I, there are so many good breeds. Um, the Jersey Giant and the Dominique are both American breeds that are really excellent for beginners. Bard Rocks. Yeah, Bard Rocks are good. Bard Rocks aren't the super friendliest, but they're they're probably a good, nice introductory they're breed. They're very inquisitive and mm-hmm. they want to be right with you. They're not big cuddlers. Yeah. But they're, you know, that chicken that's going to follow you around. Um, and you have the Brahmas, which are amazing with everybody. Oh, also. I love those Brahmas. So, I mean, there's definitely, and when you look up chickens, It'll tell you like, hey, this chicken, it can be flighty sometimes. Honestly, if by chance you get one that says that, just put extra love into them. Yeah, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I mean, any, they're very individual. Um, but again, local availability can be huge. I don't know, like you found someone to sell you. Did you buy your your chicks or did you buy your um, your first chickens as pullets? They were all pullets, basically. So we never had uh, any chicks quite yet. Okay. So in the U.S., it's generally day-old chicks or hatching eggs. Um, hatching your own eggs in, in an incubator has become more popular. Right. Um, so local availability plays a big part in your choices. So I would say if you're in a place, you know, you find out that these five breeds are available, read up on those breeds mm-hmm. and see which one fits what you want. Exactly. So we have farm supply stores and they have what's called chick days and it starts in March and it goes through May. And every week they put, they have a list of the five different chicks, five different chicken breeds that they're getting in that week. And they put that list out usually in February so that you can research Mm -hmm. and look to see which ones you really want and then be ready to get them. Right now in our area, chickens are so hot. They're the chicks, the one day old chicks are selling out in hours. Yeah. They sell out in a day. So Mm -hmm. you have to like, you know, it's just do your research and know which ones. So, you know. Bigger chicks sometimes are a little bit more cuddly, I feel like. The bigger chickens. The bigger too. breeds do tend to be a little more cuddly. That's what I feel. Like. Again, that's a generalization. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So some good starter advice for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's I find that interesting though, with the uh, with the um the way that they do those introduction days. That's that's a cool way to allow the people that are just maybe getting into their new flock or starting to have chickens as pets to, you know, come down and, and see these baby birds and whatnot, do the homework on it and everything. Right. So our, farm, su- our farm supply stores actually do what's called chick night 
and they do a little like three hour seminar yeah, for new owners for new owners and try to educate them first because people get in and they're like, oh, I just need a, a little tote to put these chicks in. And then you soon realize very quickly, uh, yeah, the $30 tote is turning into thousands of dollars for a bra and a <laughs> So <Yeah. laughs> they, try, they do these educational seminars and they're free. They're on the, they're from a, the, the farm supply store and they educate people and say, this is what you're going to need. And then that way you can make an educated decision. And that was also honestly, one of the driving forces behind the podcast, because yeah. we really wanted, we really wanted another accessible way for people to get the information. Maybe someone doesn't have time to sit down and read through a book for three hours, but they can pop us on while they're driving in their car. Yeah. That's the glory of podcasts. We can reach so many people and we're all multitasking, all trying to go a million miles an hour. And this way, while you're cooking dinner, you can get your information. You're not, you don't have to look it up. We've done all the research. <laughs> so you can yep. listen and kind of soak it in. <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. I, when I looked at your podcast and all the different episodes, I'm like, oh, they got all the breeds here. Cause I was, I was that person <laughs> Googling this breed and this and that breed and trying to, I mean, obviously I was trying to do my homework as well, but you've made it really simple to just search the list and then read up on, you know, a certain breed and, yeah. ha- and then people can listen to that, you know, and, and yeah. you've done the, your homework on, like you said. Yeah. While well, they're cooking dinner and then it gives you something to listen to. And we've actually had some listeners message us and say, Hey, can you do the coaching? Can right. you do this chicken? And we're like, yeah, yeah. And we actually had a listener message us and say, I'm going to be dealing with integration soon. Can you do an episode on chick integration, which is coming soon. We are doing an episode on that soon. And you know, it's like everyone wants to be able to multitask because you don't, you can't sit there and look at stuff all the time, you know, take the kids to soccer, it's put a, it on. It's a lot of, it's a lot of information to synthesize. It yes, really is. It is. And some you learn as you go. Right. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's me right there. Learn as you go. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So what I wanted to do is just let's talk about any upcoming projects that you have going on besides the um, the podcast. Is there anything else? Well, as of just recently, uh, just coming up, we're going to be going to the Maryland Poultry Swap, mm-hmm. which is a meeting of everyone who breeds chickens in the Mid-Atlantic area. And uh, they come to a farm. Um, it's a green fire farm, correct? Green fire farm, right. And um, they bring their poultry that they've bred to sell to people who want to buy it. So we're going to have a table there so that we can reach out directly with people and chickens and any questions they have for us, we can answer. We, um, we love the idea that we're potentially going to be writing some books. Yeah. I'm actually working on a book right now, the history of the hog Island sheep, which is a, it's a sheep that trying to find the right words for this. The hog Island sheep essentially was brought to America from England and sort of parked out on a barrier island out of the Atlantic. And it stayed there for a few hundred years with no uh, improvement whatsoever. So it's really a genetically distinct breed. It's just kind of a snapshot of a 19th century sheep. Uh, fascinating. So I'm working on a book on them. And Chrissy and I are also working on a book slowly 
that's well there are a couple I, I will say there are a couple yes <laughs> but yes. the one we're working on right now most closely is kind of has grown out of all the advice we give on the podcast yes, exactly nice excellent good stuff ladies now let's talk about baking just briefly i want to just dive in because that's one of the things you know when when you have chickens you get an abundance of eggs and half the oh, time yeah. you're like what do i do with all these <laughs> eggs so obviously we've picked up on using the eggs for baking and whatnot so hit me with a couple of of your recipes now i know, I know you have them on your podcast yes. and your website and whatnot so maybe mm -hmm. you can either direct us or if you have a quick recipe i mean my well, the one that i'm i'm dying for my wife to try is the the gluten-free donut that you do oh those yes. donuts oh my heavens i think that is probably the most delicious <laughs> recipe we have and it's actually pretty easy we do all of the recipes so that you know there are recipes we know they taste good so holly ann is the baker i bake too but i don't bake at the level of holly what holly ann makes and um so she made the donuts and we were all like drooling over these donuts those they're delicious. so delicious <laughs> and holly can't have gluten or dairy so uh all of our recipes so we 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 make them gluten and dairy free, but we include all the information. Because I eat everything, so we right. do both. <laughs> so, yeah, there you so go. So we, 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 it's a regular recipe, and we always have the gluten and dairy free counterpart to it. Um, and you can always just swap out the. So one of my favorite recipes is from my late mother-in-law, and this is we put this in our Christmas recipe because um, I've been married twenty-three years with my husband for twenty-eight years, and since I've met him, every Christmas morning I had. Christmas bake for my mother-in-law. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and you can use a large amount of eggs. It takes a dozen eggs and it feeds a whole house full at the holiday time. It's sort of like a savory strata, savory bread pudding. Sorry. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So okay. that's one of my favorites. Um, mine, we haven't done a recipe for this, but I'm not Italian at all. Not even close to I'm it. I'm very Italian. But I love Italian <laughs> food and my mom loved Italian food. And so my mom makes a lasagna where she, I'd say she hard boils about a dozen eggs and the slices of eggs go in between the lasagna layers. It is a traditional Italian recipe and it's amazing. So here's the thing. We both will grow up within minutes of each other. I come from a very strong, my, my family immigrated from, or immigrated. They immigrated, uh, yeah, right. immigrated <laughs> over from Italy and my great grandfather uh, owned a chicken farm. So I come upon my love of chickens, honestly. And um, he basically, you know, did eggs for grocery stores. They had so many chickens. So my mother grew up in this household because her and her and her grandparents lived on the same plot, the same farm. And so my mom growing up was like, every time we had pasta with marinara sauce, mm -hmm. she would boil a dozen eggs. eggs. Yeah. And yeah. you peel them and you throw them in the sauce. And let me tell you, you just put a whole egg on top of your pasta it's with the delicious. sauce. It's absolutely delicious. Yeah. And that was an Italian thing. Like, and I don't Irish my, too. I guess so. I don't know where my mother picked that up, but she's, well, her, her grandfather kept Rhode Island reds. He was, he wasn't like a so chicken farmer. He was a yeah. backyard chicken owner. Um, and maybe it came from there, but the, the hard boiled egg mixed with pasta with traditional marinara sauce sounds crazy delicious. Try it. It's Uses delicious. Tons of eggs. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely trying that. I mean, I love <laughs> pasta myself and, and even think that now we can slice up 
hard boiled eggs and put them in the lasagna, which we do about it. We do a lasagna probably once a week. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. A gluten-free dairy free lasagna that uh, my, my wife as well is gluten and dairy free. Okay. So I'm, I'm really keen to have her start trying some of these recipes. And then, you know, I mean, of course I'm going to put a special request in to have the sliced hard boiled egg in the, in the next lasagna that we have. Oh yes. And it's, when you just have pasta, you just hard boil the egg, peel it and stick it right on top. Chop it off. And you uh, eat yeah. it with the marinara sauce. The hard boiled egg with the marinara sauce is delicious. It is delicious. It, yeah. It really is. And when you have a dozen extra dozen eggs, stick them in there, extra yeah, protein, and you get all that extra protein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you can't go wrong with it. Absolutely. Great, great interview, ladies. I really appreciate you spending the time to come on the podcast with me. So just one little special request, maybe sure. in your, your breeds, you do the brown shaver. How about we that? Definitely. Absolutely. We'll do it. Definitely. And thank you so much for having us. This has been so much fun. A lot of fun. Yes. And this is what we do. We love to just sit around and talk chickens. That's it. Drink coffee, talk chickens. Uh, you know, it's funny because this is a constant conversation between my wife and I as well. It's like now we have chickens nice. are constantly talking about the birds and what this one did and, you know, the gossip around the bird flock, you know? Oh, yes. <laughs> there can be a lot sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies. Well, thank you once again and we'll catch up soon. Yes, thank definitely. You, thank, thank you, you so much. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye.